Thank you. How are you guys? Good. It's got like the stand-up comedy vibe. <laughs> That's sweet. Um, it's, it's good to be with you guys. I'll figure this out. Um, yeah, as Adam said, uh, it is fun um, being back with you guys. We were, yeah, from the beginning. Um, we, Sarah and I, were friends with Andy and Jackie 10, 11 years ago. Andy and Jackie did our premarital counseling uh, 10 years ago, and um, we knew each other from another church context, and when Andy and Jackie said we want to go plant in San Diego, Sarah and I began praying for them, uh, just like, good luck with that, uh, and as we prayed for them, we felt like God was actually calling us to join them in San Diego, and so uh, we jumped on board, and we moved down, uh, found out we were pregnant. Um, the month we decided to move without a salary and figure that out so that was fun um and our kiddos are now in kids ministry right now uh, if you saw micah and emma micah is now seven years old uh i know he's not a little baby anymore and emmy is five so um yeah it's so cool i know a bunch of you but uh for those that, that don't know uh we moved four years ago up to la it is like the non-sexy part of la if there is a sexy part of la it's the san fernando valley um, and being back down here, just we spent um, yesterday here, very, very grateful. Allie and Campbell gave us their Airbnb last night, so we were able to spend the whole day uh, and sleep over last night. Um, but I forgot how cool you guys are down here in San Diego. It is, it's so, there's so much pressure. Um, like for you guys, not me. In Northridge, there's no pressure at all. And I forgot like how... Seriously, and some of you guys may be like so much swimming in the culture of San Diego uh, that you forget like how uh, just intense. Um, in Northridge, like people show up, they don't care at all what they look like. Um, and in San Diego, it's like, it just feels like, it's like game time. So um, anyways, I just feel like there's always like, just even, I don't know, people are like, where are you going to eat last night? We're like, I, don't, I feel like I can answer that wrong. Um, <laughs> I have never felt pressure about like, we were like, we're we used to live in Kensington, and so we wanted to show the kids where we lived in Kensington. And so um, Sarah and I used to go on date night every single Thursday night. We'd walk to Ponce's. Um, yeah, not popular, I guess. So uh, we told people, we're like, we're going to go back to Ponce's. And people were like, okay. Like, kind of kind of like, we'll, <laughs> we'll pray for you. Um, we're so sorry. Um, and... And so we got to show the kids just San Diego, and uh, we wanted it to be a fun thing for them. Uh, one of the things we try to do as a family that's kind of doing the full-time vocational pastoral ministry thing um, is we want them, they, they do, they, they have a lot of, uh, not a lot, but there are sacrifices that our kids make uh, because of what we're doing, those trips that Andy and the team are on, like those are kids that at costs. And so we love to be able to do fun things like this and be like, this is part of, like we get to stay in this cool house because friends in the church. And so uh, I think we went a little overboard yesterday because at the end of the night, the kids were like, let's move back to San Diego. <laughs> we're, like, we're like, no, we can't do that. Um, but it is cool. It's way cool. So um, anyways, it's a privilege being here. Thank you for having us. Uh, I do miss you guys a ton. Um, yeah, we just, man, it's fun. It's so fun being here. But um, what Andy asked me to, to preach on today uh, was you guys have been in a series called Refresh. Is that right? Woo! Come on. Um, and basically what this sermon series has been is for you guys kind of uh, going back to the beginning, kind of some of the basic 
uh, beliefs, the basic practices of what does it mean to be a Christian. Let's be kind of a refresher course in this thing called Christianity, which is really beautiful um, for everybody. If you're a mature Christian, it's really good to be reminded of what, what are the basics? Uh, am I even doing those things? Sometimes we think we can graduate from those things and move on. Um, and then for those of you who aren't Christian and you're kind of maybe new to the faith or just kind of learning about this Jesus, uh, is, is, what do, what is what do we believe? What do, what do they believe? What do they think? What are they supposed to be doing? What does this look like? Because um, oftentimes the church is unfortunately not, has not been the greatest representation of Jesus. Uh, and so it, today, as, as we get to dive in um, and kind of close out, I guess, this series on Revealed or Refreshed, yeah, Refreshed, um, we're going to be talking about being missional, uh, living on mission, uh, maybe the, the word evangelism. We're going to talk about that, and I know that's a scary idea, um, but, but today I hope what will happen is as we talk about this, this practice that every Christian is invited into of sharing the good news of Jesus, um, many of us have experienced that being one of the most terrifying, awkward moments ever, um, but, but hopefully many of us have also experienced, one, it's, it's beautiful, it's exciting when you get to share the good news with somebody else. So if you got the Bible, um, probably will be on the screen as well. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. <clears throat> I'm going to read a little bit and then unpack it and then we'll uh, uh, apply it and explain what's going on. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, um, we currently up in L.A., are preaching through 1 Corinthians. We just started a few weeks ago. We preached in Diego 1 Corinthians years ago. Um, and so Corinthians was a wild church. Uh, the Apostle Paul planted it, and it kind of just got messy very quickly. And one of the things that, that Paul's writing back in the letter of 2 Corinthians, uh, he's kind of defending his apostolic ministry. Um, so, so a way to think of it would be Andy and Jackie helped start this church. Imagine they moved away. Uh, and then the church kind of started like doubting, who's this Andy guy? You know, was he, why, was, why did he do this thing anyways? What was the whole point of that? That's what happened with the Apostle Paul. He planted the church at Corinth. And then the Corinthians start learning from different teachers and different super apostles and all these guys, uh, and they start doubting whether or not the apostle Paul was legit, uh, what his motives were. And so Paul's writing this letter going, what are you talking about? We've been through so much. Like, I love you so much. Um, and so 2 Corinthians is a, a kind of a defense of his own ministry. In chapter 5, he's talking about even some of the difficulty he's been through because of his apostolic call. Uh, and so this I idea of him even at times wishing he'd be at home with Jesus. Uh, it'd be easier for him to be with Jesus than wrestling through some of the difficulties he has still living here uh, on the earth. So um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 6. So we are always confident. And know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident. And we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay, so 
Paul says, hey, I mean, there are times I just wish I could be away. I could be with Jesus um, instead of here right now. But there's work to do. And then he says, there's actually coming a day that all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Which, which is pretty wild to think about. Um, and, and maybe you haven't dwelt on that reality much. See, one of the, the best news about Christianity is that we are saved by grace. Um, God in his grace loves us, pursues us. If you want to have a relationship with God, you don't have to do stuff. He's done everything. You just have to receive him. That's the good news of the gospel. And yet, Paul talks about that there's still coming a day that you will, when you die or Jesus returns, whichever comes first, you will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. And you're going to give an account for your life. I mean, wouldn't that kind of change the way you live the rest of, at least today, right? I mean, maybe, hopefully this week, hopefully this month, but, but at least today, like, like if that was on your mind, which was clearly on the Apostle Paul's mind, I think many of us, we're like, grace, grace, grace. Yes, grace. You are saved by grace. You're not going to get to the judgment seat of Christ and try to explain, I was a good boy, please let me in. No, 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 that's not what's happening. You're saved by grace, but there seems to be after this I'm in, Jesus loves me, I'm with him, you're still going to give an account for your life. You're still going to give an account for your actions, the good and the bad. And, and the good are not things you did to try to earn God's love. The good are the things that you did in response to God's love. It, it's the love that you sh- shared with others. It's the grace that you had with others, the truth that you spoke to others. And Paul uses this as a motivation. He's not like, ah, that old thing. He's like, hey, guys, this is coming. Let's think about this reality for us. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in our outward in outward appearance rather than in the heart for if we are out of our mind it's for god if we're in our right mind it's for you he's like if we're getting crazy it's cuz we love god but for your sake we'll just try to be normal right verse 14 for the love of christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Okay. Paul is saying that that, that one day he's going to stand before Jesus. And it's, it's this fear of the Lord that actually compels him. It's a fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord that compels him to persuade people. As I was chewing on that word this week, it feels like a dirty word. I don't know if you feel the same way, like a salesy word. I'm trying to persuade you about Jesus. I don't know if any of you have used that language lately. You know, it's like I was in the coffee shop trying to persuade the barista about Jesus being the Messiah. It just feels kind of weird. Um, yet, I think the majority of our life is persuading others about things. We just don't use that word often, right? 
Yesterday, as we were walking through Kensington, um, we saw like four or five neighbors from back in the day that were just like were shocked to see us. We kind of like did like the triple take. We're like, I thought that guy was dead or something. Like, whoa. Um, and, and, and one of the guys we saw, it was a guy I saw every single day, older gentleman. Um, that's all there was in Kensington. But um, <laughs> he, he came over and he was like, hey. And I was like, what's up? What are you, what's, how are you? What's been going on? And he jumps into this deal. He's like, I'm writing a book and does a pitch. Like a form, and it was compelling. He told me about this book he's writing and he's excited about all these things. And he jumped into a persuasion. I was like, Where's, what's the Amazon link, right? Like, when is this thing going to be done? We do this all the time, right? I would argue that 99% of our social media is persuading others that your life is better than it actually is, right? It's a persuasion. And Paul's going, no, 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 none of, not the book deal, not the Instagram. What I'm trying to do is persuade people to grasp the love of Jesus Christ. I want them to understand that he is king and one day they will stand before him. And it is essential for them to get this. Let's keep going. Verse 16. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective... Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so Paul's saying, what? God has done through Jesus is he has reconciled us back to himself. I love the word reconciled. Sometimes when we talk about salvation, when we talk about the gospel, it can be in language that gets away from the fact that it is a relational message. Reconciliation, at the heart of reconciliation is relationship, right? You don't reconcile with someone you don't want to be with, right? You can, we've all had people in our life that have hurt us, and you can forgive them and keep them at a distance, right? You're like, I forgive you, I just never want to see you again. We've done that, right? Forgiveness is beautiful, it's part of the gospel story. God forgives us. Many of us believe the same thing about God. He forgives you and then does this. Just, you've messed up, I'm going to forgive you, but get away. Reconciliation is, I forgive you, I want you, come close. He forgives us so that he can have us. Reconciliation is a relational term. And God reconciles us through Christ, meaning we were far from him. We had run from him. He reconciles us back to himself. And then he hands us the ministry of reconciliation. The word ministry, we can sometimes think of as like, oh, the people up here do ministry, right? Andy's doing ministry. Royce, they're doing ministry in India. If you're a Christian, you're called to do ministry. It means to serve. And the service that you offer the world is a service of reconciliation. It's a telling other people that they should be and can be reconciled back to God, which is how Paul finishes off this section. Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, 
We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love the simplicity there. The message that Paul preaches is be reconciled to God. When you're sitting with your non-Christian friend, you're like, what do I say? Be reconciled to God. He boils it down. That's the message. It's be reconciled to God. means that God's done everything he has needed to do. All you have to do is receive his forgiveness. All you have to do is humble yourself and realize you were the one who wronged him, but he still wants you. And this is the message that we are called to persuade others with, the message that we are to implore others with. And this is what Paul is trying to say throughout this section. The more we grasp both the fear and the love of Jesus, the more we will plead with others to be reconciled to God. The more that we grasp the fear and the love of Jesus, the more we will plead with others, the more we will implore others to be reconciled to God. Now, I know I said the fear and the love, and the fear thing is probably pretty confusing. This week, as I, Andy said, hey, what do you think about preaching on 2 Corinthians 5? I was like, great, I'll start in verse 18. I just love, I'm in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. It's just gold. It's like good, good stuff. As I started chewing on all of 2 Corinthians 5, I started realizing in verse 11, it says, Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. This is the same Paul who writes later in Romans, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not confused. But there's a fear of the Lord that causes him to persuade others. And it's not just fear. Verse 14 as well says, For the love of Christ compels us. It is both a fear and a love of Jesus that compels him to share the gospel with others. And I bet most of us probably, if we had to, lean a little further in the love section than the fear section, right? We're, we're more like, oh, God loves me so much that I'm just going to sit here and do absolutely nothing. It just feels love. It's right here. It compels me. Not really me. Just, it just compels me to sit here and hang out. And Paul goes, no, no, no. His love compels me, but not just his love, his fear compels me. Okay, so what does this look like? There is an unhealthy type of fear of Jesus and a healthy type of fear of Jesus, okay? And we're not talking about an unhealthy type. Um, but I think one of the main reasons why very few of us feel compelled to share the gospel with others is because we have a very, very small view of Jesus. Our view of Jesus is small, and so you hear somebody say, hey, he loves you, and you're like, hmm, that's sweet, right? Like, imagine if I got up here right now, and I was like, hey, guys, I, I need to share some good news with you. My grandma, she loves you so much. Hmm. She, she, she told me to tell you she loves you guys so much. Have a great day. 
Would that change any of you? No. My grandma's just, she's not that important. I love her, but she's not that important, right? Her love for you doesn't mean much. Her love for you is just kind of like, oh, that's, I'm glad she doesn't hate me. But her, I mean, honestly, if she did, I'd be okay too, right? It's just, it's, it's your grandma. Like, I, it, maybe that, do, that doesn't impact me much. And for many of us, when we hear, hey, Jesus loves you, you hear, oh, okay, it's, that's nice. I'm glad. That's, that's cool. Because we have a small, small view of him. And yet Paul goes, the Jesus I'm talking about is a Jesus that can even cause fear. A Jesus that can even cause an awe and a trembling in his presence. This is the Jesus who loves you. You you shouldn't just fear him. It should be an understanding of his love for you in a huge reality that causes an awe and a reverence. Some of you may be asking, but what about 1 John 4 that says, perfect love casts out all fear? Good question. (laughs) I think what that means is that there are two types of fear. John is saying that there is a fear that is unhealthy, a fear that has nothing to do with love, a fear that only has to do with punishment. That's not the fear we're talking about. I think what that fear that John is talking about in 1 John 4 is a fear that keeps you away from God. And Paul here in 2 Corinthians 5 is talking about a fear that keeps you near to God. This is an unhealthy, bad fear that some of you might even have right now. You're like, I can't talk to him. He's scary. 1 John goes, no, 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 no. He loves you. Get rid of the horrid idea that he's going to punish you. The punishment has fallen on Jesus. There's none left for you. He loves you and wants you stay near to him. That, that's the fear. It's a healthy fear of a bigness, of an awe, of a reverence that one day you are going to stand before him. He is going to be the only one on the judgment seat. Your boss isn't going to be up there. Your spouse isn't going to be up there. Your friends aren't going to be up there. Your dad is not going to be up there. When you die, you will see Jesus Christ, the King of Kings who created all things and you'll stand before him. There's a healthy awe and a reverence that not only you will stand before him, but all 8 billion people who are alive today will do the same. It's an awe that creates in you, not just a Jesus is my homeboy, but I love him. He loves me. He's way bigger than I can fathom. And that compels me to share the good news with others. It is a motivation both of a healthy fear and a deep love. And if this is the Jesus that we were constantly thinking of, I'm convinced we would be constantly trying to persuade others that he is worthy worship. So Paul gives us the motivation, fear and love, but he also gives us the message. I love the simplicity of it. Look back at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. 
since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I have a weird job as a pastor. Um, I have people in our church who oftentimes they have a friend who's not a Christian, who's interested in Christianity, but not ready yet for the church. And so they're like, hey, will you meet with them? I'm like, I'm down. I'm always down to meet with that person. You know, I always say like, bring just a notebook of questions. I'm down to wrestle through as many as we can get through. Just let's do it. And I was talking with a guy. I didn't know him at all. We sat down uh, a few weeks ago and he shared his story, grew up in the church, just rough stuff. Uh, Makes me sad um, experiences he's had in the church and things like that. And as he's talking, he, he gets to a point, he's like, I, I just don't know what to do. What do I do? I don't feel like I'm saved. I don't feel like I'm Christian anymore. I don't even know if I want to be. But if, if I want to be, what do I do? And I remember I was just sitting there. I was like, oh, man. Like, what do I say right now? Like, I mean, it's a big question, right? Like, wh- what do I do? Be reconciled to God. I should have said that. I didn't say that. I was like, well, let's start over here. You know, I just like kind of like, here's my 14 points. I'll just kind of lay them out. And hopefully it's not too complicated. Be reconciled to God. He loves you. He's for you. You're the one who made a mess of the relationship. Our sin has created a barrier with him the same way that when I sin against my wife, it creates a real barrier. Yet God is the one who, when sinned against, pursues. And all we have to do is accept his forgiveness, accept his grace, and say, okay, I need you. I want you. Save me. Make me a new creation. This is his desire for all of us. Sometimes we as Christians can complicate things so much. It's just so complicated at times. I mean, this is a big book, guys, isn't it? Most of us, four of us, read through it all last year, right? It's complicating. Paul boils it down. He says, be reconciled to God. This is the message from Genesis to Revelation. A God who is for us, a God who is after us, in love, desiring us to be reconciled to him. This is the message we preach. We need to make sure we are not preaching any other message. Hey, come to church. Hey, clean yourself up. Hey, vote this way. Hey, drink this specific beer. Hey, whatever it is, it's none of those things. It's be reconciled to him. That's what you have to do. What do I do? You be reconciled to him. You receive his forgiveness. You receive his grace over you. This is absolutely essential. And the important thing is that he doesn't just say be reconciled to God. He shows us how we've been reconciled to God. He shows us the work that Jesus himself has accomplished in verse 19 and 21. It says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. And verse 21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Verse 21 is one of the most beautiful passages in the scripture. This message of be reconciled to God may cause a question. It's like, but man, I'm a mess. Like, like wh- what does God do? Does he just kind of sweep my sins under the rug and just says, it's okay, 
I don't even remember. Forget about all that stuff. I'm sure you meant better. No. He actually deals with our sins. He's dealt with our sins forever in Jesus Christ. This is one of the challenges I have when I sit with one of my Muslim friends. They always are telling me, like, our God is more holy. Your God is just, he's just grace, grace, and love, love. Like, Allah, he's holy. And, and I try to explain this passage to them. I go, no, no, our God is holy. Our God is so holy that he doesn't just look the other way with sin. Every single sin has to be taken care of. And through Christ Jesus, it has been. Like, and, and I push on them. I, I, I say, Allah, from what I understand, if you sin, but Allah loves you and accepts you, that sin it doesn't really ever get dealt with. The gospel of Jesus Christ is every single sin gets dealt with. Either you will deal with it for eternity or Jesus Christ dealt with it on the cross 2,000 years ago. He does not look at any sin and just go, it's okay. It's punished. And yet Jesus Christ says, no one takes my life. I lay my life down. And I have the authority to take my life back up. He did not just stay dead. He rose from the dead. But what took place on the cross was he took on our sin and the penalty and consequences for our sin. That's why he died. Many of us know Romans. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died. Was he a sinner? No. He bore our sin. That's why he died. He took on our sin at the cross, and he didn't just take on our sin. He gave us his righteousness, the right standing that we need with God to be reconciled to him. Jesus Christ has done that, and he's given that to us. This is the news of the message. This is the message that we persuade others with. And those who have accepted and been reconciled back to God, there is good news that he no longer holds our sins against us, not our past, not our present, not our future. Hebrews 10 goes so far as to say that he has chosen not to even remember our sins anymore. You remember your sins from yesterday? I do. God in his grace has said, I don't remember. This past year, I, I got a beautiful moment to experience that with my children. Um, Micah's seven, Emma's five. And for whatever reason, they don't get along all the time or ever. And it was a Saturday morning, and it was just one of those mornings that you're like, just, just, just go in different rooms and never talk to each other again. Like, that just feels better. He was messing with her. He was doing the obnoxious older brother thing, hands in the face, I'm not touching you. And you're like, I don't know what to do with you. And, and, and so he, he ends up touching her face, and he, she screams, Daddy, he touched me. And so I come out, and I'm like, what's going on? She's like, he keeps touching me. He keeps touching me. I said, okay, listen, we're about to leave for a birthday party. <clears throat> and birthday parties in our house are like big wins. Um, we, we try our best to like not let them eat tons of sugar. Birthday parties, it's like if you can get the cupcakes, you get them. Um, like just, <laughs> just go for it. So our kids love birthday cakes. It's just kind of like go wild. Um, and we were about to leave for a birthday party in about five minutes. And so I said these words, Micah, if you touch your sister again, you're not going to the birthday party. Which was, as soon as I said it, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to stay true to that. <laughs> but it sounded good. And so I walked back out, 
go finish getting ready, whatever it was. And she screams. Two minutes later, she screams. I, I come back out. I'm like, what happened? And, 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 and I said, Micah, if you touched your sister, you're not going to the birthday party. I said, Emma, what did he do to you? And she looks at me and she says, I don't remember. <laughs> he looks at her. He's like, <laughs> and he screams, she doesn't remember. She doesn't remember. And I was like, get in the car. We're going. She, in this moment of grace, right? I mean, she could have gone to the party without him. She knew the weightiness of it, having been touched by her brother, knowing the consequences of his sin. She absorbed him being an obnoxious older brother and says, I don't remember. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God looks at you having dealt with all of your sins, not pretending they did not happen, having dealt with them forever, past, present, and future, and looks at you and says, I don't remember. I don't remember. This is the message that San Diego and our world are dying to hear. Our world that continues to increase in anxiety, in depression, in chaos. The more money we get, the more affluent we get as a nation, you think those numbers would drop. They just keep climbing. The shame, the guilt that we all live with. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the King that you will stand before on the last day, he offers you reconciliation and says, you trust in me, I, I won't remember. I'll pay for those things. This is the message that we're invited to persuade others with. It is not a message of, hey, if you clean up your act, maybe God will like you. It is a message that the God of the universe, the holy, just creator, king of the universe, he has done everything possible to make things right with you, to choose you, to love you. Will you accept him? Will you get over your pride? Maybe you don't understand everything. I certainly don't. But will you trust him? Will you call out and say, God, I trust you. Save me. Let me be reconciled to you. That's all it takes. Friends, this is the message we get to be a part of, invited into, and to share with the world. Let's not overcomplicate it. Let's make it simple. Let's explain to our friends, our coworkers, our family members, this is what God has done in past and will continue doing in the future, reconciling all things back to himself. And he wants you to be a partner with him in the greatest work you could possibly be doing of reconciliation. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for reaching out to us, for pursuing us when we just kept running from you. Jesus, would we see the cross more clearly, a cross that shows us our sin so clearly, that causes a healthy fear of you, of your holiness, of your bigness, of your justice, and also your love, the cross that shows us and convinces us that we are fully and completely known and loved in you. Would you grow us in it, Jesus? Would you grow us so much that, that when we look at others, we would no longer regard them according to the flesh from a worldly perspective, but every single person we pass on the streets, through the office, through the neighborhoods, Jesus, we would see men and women who are dying, who need to know you, who need someone to proclaim, be reconciled to God. He loves you. He's for you. Would we repent of our apathy, Jesus? Just sitting in, in a circle of just saying, yep, I'm loved, praise God, my future's taken care of, I'll just kind of coast from here on out. Would you give us a clear picture of who you are and what you've invited us into? We love you. We trust you. It's in your beautiful name. Amen. Um, we're going to continue by worshiping now and through music and through communion and we'll have some prayer counselors on the side. Um, communion is up front. Uh, we love to take communion as, as, as a church, as Christians. It's celebrating the fact that this, this bread that was poured out for us that when we come to the table, we say that we've been reconciled by him, by what he did. You, you don't have to provide the bread and the wine. He's provided everything that we could possibly need. And we take it and say, thank you. We do it in remembrance of him. And we'll have prayer counselors along the side. Maybe this morning you're in a spot and, and, and you've grown dull to the love of Jesus. Or maybe you've grown dull to the fear of Jesus. That, that you would go get prayer and say, would you just pray that I would see Jesus more clearly? Maybe some of you this morning need to give your life to Jesus and be reconciled to him for the very first time. So that option is available on the sides. And for the rest, if you're willing and able to stand as we sing together.